Hey everyone, welcome to Brown Breakdown. I'm your host, Apoorva Gandetti. Every episode, I get to sit down with South Asian artists of all types at all different levels of their careers to understand the tools necessary to build a life as an artist. We'll be talking about everything from turning a hobby into a career, obstacles along the way, breaking tired stereotypes, and changing the media landscape to be more inclusive. Today's guest is Ria Tabakawala. Ria is an award-winning filmmaker from Chicago. Before her career in film, Ria worked at Google. With a passion for storytelling and technology, she led the development of social web experiences and innovations using Google products with content partners such as the New York Times, ESPN, Fox, NBC, The Food Network, and Sony. She received her BA in economics from Harvard University and her joint MFA MBA from NYU. Her short film, Shadows, was selected for the 2020 Tribeca Film Festival and is now available for streaming on HBO Max. Her first short film, Life After, was selected for several prestigious film festivals around the world. The film also won Best Short Fiction Film at the Chicago South Asian Film Festival. Her latest project, User Zero, which is about technology and mental health, is supported by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation. Hi, Rhea. Welcome to Brown Breakdown. Hi, how are you? I'm great. I'm great. So we were just talking about the fact that we both went to the same high school at different times. Were you born and raised in Hyde Park? What was your background like? Yes, I was born and raised in Hyde Park. I was there until I went to college. Did your parents work for the university? They didn't. My dad went to the business school and that's how you know, my family started out in, in Hyde Park and you know, loved the area and my dad had heard of you know, the lab school and thought it was a pretty neat place for kids to go. So my mom and and dad kind of settled into Hyde Park and my mom was a kindergarten teacher at at lab school for a long time. And then, you know, she retired and is enjoying her enjoying her life now. So My mom is also a preschool slash kindergarten teacher. They're very, very important. They are. I was just actually talking to her last night about how it did not rub off on me, but that's okay. I guess it didn't rub off on you either. <laughs> How was your time at Lab? Did you get involved in filmmaking at all in high school or was that something that happened later in life? Yeah, so I have always gravitated towards film and photography and storytelling from a young age. Like there's photos and, and home videos of me just constantly grabbing my dad's camcorder and, and trying to do my own thing. Um, and it was at lab where in high school, I think I was in a freshman, I took a photography class with with the teacher there, Miss um, Ricketts, who's no longer there. Oh my gosh, Miss Ricketts was there when I was in high school too. Yeah, she's awesome. Uh, she's a fantastic, fantastic person and artist. And so I just got really into it. You know, I spent a very large amount of my time in high school in the dark room just you know had a love for the medium of using you know images to tell stories and started getting further into filmmaking and did like some summer classes where I made like my first short on Super 8 um, which was a cool experience to see how you know where the words splicing come from when you're literally cutting pieces of yeah film so yeah so I, I started then and just kind of that's where the the interest developed I just, you know, learned a lot about creating composition and, and everything through photography, which is, you know, a wonderful, um, wonderful basis and, and kind of necessary for understanding um, shot design and, and a lot of the cinematography components of, of filmmaking as well. What was that first short film that you made about? It was called Chocolate Goddess, named after a piece of cake that I really enjoyed eating from 
Prita Manger. And so that's where the title came from. But it was literally about a guy who basically was dreaming up a girlfriend and having like picnics in the park with her and eating cake and and baguettes and whatnot. And then, you know, we reveal in the end she was a she was just a dream and then, you know, a real girl comes in to his life. He was his dream chocolate goddess. Teen, teen angst. You know, actually surprisingly all my actors were white, but that was just because I was in a program and I, there was really actually no brown actors in my program at that point. Well, I think that sounds awesome. I bake a lot, so I totally understand making yes, a short film. Yes, I love film. baking too. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, it's, it's like a nice stress reliever. I always say that it's, especially with filmmaking and acting, everything just feels very uncertain. So it's so nice to make something that you know if you just follow a recipe and follow it well, it's going yes. to turn out well. Yes. Well, they say there's somewhat of a recipe to acting and filmmaking, but we, we often know that's very hard to grasp. You know, it's a little easier to do a Betty Crocker recipe where almost everything's done for you than do what we have to do every day for our, for our work, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I would love to follow a recipe for acting. That would be great. <laughs> I feel like my acting school tried to, like, give me a recipe for a method. And you can follow, I mean, you can follow it pretty closely. But when it comes to, like, the business career side of things, nothing to follow. No, absolutely. After lab, you went to Harvard. And you studied yes. econ there? I did. I did. I, I somehow abandoned my creative interests I wouldn't say I abandoned I'll say this I converted my creative you know my photography and film into dance and production and I would make promo videos for the shows that I was working on and so I just you know explored I guess different forms of of the arts and stuff like that but but yes I became an economist in in another life and I think it was a part of my way of surviving school <laughs> I was taking choosing a major that was uh popular but relatively easy that was my humble beginnings of doing a career that I no longer do anymore econ at Harvard is easy comparatively I I, I guess everyone's a little bit of a remix of a lot of things but I mm -hmm. had like three big interests one of which I think I've now completely abandoned but I used to love math, like in high school, for whatever reason, I loved math. And I think it's because there was an answer, which makes yes. it hard sometimes as a, as a creative and a filmmaker now, because there really is no answer. So I was much better at that than I was at uh, any of the humanities. And then I love film and photography. And while there's no answer, there is a little bit of a recipe of how to develop you know, a photograph. So I always love that. Connects to our baking love. And yes. then I always loved technology. And so when I got to college, I thought I'd be like a girl who goes into STEM. And like, you know, I thought that was my, that was my path. I feel like I've always kind of shed different skins that I've tried on in my life. But anyway, long story short, I had originally wanted to be a statistician when I went to Harvard. And the reason why is because I thought it was fascinating that you could use numbers to like explain things that were going on in the world. This kind of idea of telling stories through numbers really like, jazzed me and so I wanted to do that but then I wasn't very good at math at, uh, at a Harvard college level so then I said okay well what's the easier version of statistics and so that's where economics came into play so I didn't really give much of a care about markets or frankly the business and I kept telling stories as an economist so I was really fascinated with crime and and kind of public policy as well and I found that there was interesting ways to understand these parts of 
our world and life through through understanding people's incentives and what drives and motivates them, which kind of makes sense now as a as a filmmaker. As I I'm not necessarily understanding people's incentives every day, but I am writing about human motivations and stuff like that. So everything everything kind of connects, you know, when you when you try hard enough to connect all the dots. So I, I really enjoyed my time at Harvard. I'm very glad that I, I have got to try a lot of different things and learned a lot of different ways in my life. Hearing you talk about it, you're so right. Like you see that connective tissue coming together. And in the back of my mind, I have your most recent short film in my head, User Zero. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, that all makes sense that it eventually like accumulated into that story. But we'll get there. <laughs> no, I was interested to hear your perspective on econ at Harvard because I went to Chicago and... An even harder university, by the way. I, you know, maybe in some ways. Is, is it easier to... Uh, yeah, the t-shirts yeah. where fun comes to die because you're working too hard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, it's, it's infamous. John Hopkins, MIT, UChicago are probably some of the hardest, hardest schools and uh, have a lot we of... We just don't get the there. recognition. <laughs> and so after Harvard, did you go straight into working for Google? I did. I did. So I uh, graduated in 2010. So uh, it was kind of right at the end of the you know Great Recession. And so you know I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. Probably like most colleges that have a lot of Type A students at them, the majority of people are were looking become a consultant or a banker. And a lot of the opportunities through the university were to feed you into consulting or banking because they recruited and, you know, the arts doesn't recruit in that same way. So I wasn't really sure what to do. I did go on a lot of consulting, less so banking interviews, and I disliked it all. And so then I was like, all right, well, Rio, what do you really like? And so I think, you know, what I told you earlier is, outside of math, which I slowly realized wasn't my forte in college, the other two things I loved was storytelling and film and photography, as well as tech. It was a hard time to find jobs in entertainment, and I didn't really know a lot of people who were becoming filmmakers after college you know I kind of taken a little bit of a detour you know I started thinking okay what else do I really love and I've always been like a tech geek and so I started saying like what are companies I'm really interested in and that I think are cool and and Google was on that list and so they actually did recruit on campus though a family friend helped me get a referral there which I'm incredibly grateful for it really dictated a lot of who I've become in my life and so anyway I got a job at Google right after graduating college that was, again, a very long-winded answer to what you just asked, which was, yes, I did. Go no, it's so college. helpful to have the context. And I mean, I feel like I always feel a little bit guilty about using certain connections, like even with going to UChicago from lab, for example. But then I remember that literally everyone has to do it. And especially, I mean, all of our like white counterparts have so many more of these connections. So it's just important to use them. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's important to have that, that group of people who can support it takes a village did you ever consider the agency route when you were in college no I had no idea what that was I was just I was in my little you know Cambridge fun little college town enjoying myself too much to even understand any of that none of that kind of came came to to me that type of information didn't flow at least at that point in time maybe it's different now but we were just you know we were still in the early days of Facebook back then there's not much else. So. Yeah, I was thinking about it because I feel like those agencies have started to recruit in the same way that consulting firms do. We had a recruiting session with CAA and WME. So I think they've started to expand wow. in that way too. So I was curious if it was also an option, you know, when you were in college. 
Yeah, unless my memory isn't serving me well, I do not remember. They were probably still just focused on the USC and like whoever's uncle's nephew. You were at Google for yes. five years. What was it like? What kind of projects did you work on? Oh, I had a blast. I really enjoyed my time there. So I started in, they have a marketing program. It's called an associate product marketing manager program. And so you come in and in your first two years, you kind of rotate between two different teams being part of their, their marketing department. More than anything else, to be valued at 22 for your abilities and your intellect and your entrepreneurial spirit and be told, yes, you can, is an incredible an incredible gift. Like during my time at Google, I did all kinds of things. And, you know, I think the public opinion of Google has probably changed in the last decade. You know, I started there at 2010, 2010. And frankly, the opinion of the tech world and, and the tech bros and all of that that started near the end of my time there, they've done an incredible job to, to kind of instill in, in, in their employees, at least at that time period, that you can make the impossible possible. And that with enough willpower and enough thought and energy, you can make things out of, out of nothing. And so I spent a lot of my time there trying to do that and also got to like somehow reconnect with my love for storytelling there. So, you know, I, I spent one year working on kind of the bread and butter advertising for, for Google, um, trying to acquire new small businesses to advertise online. And then after that, I went into the went into social media and new media, working on Google Plus and, and sometimes partnering up with, with our teammates over at, at YouTube and just started creating content, helping a variety of different content creators figure out, you know, how to use Google Plus, which, you know, rest in peace is no longer a thing, but, you know, we spent a lot of time and energy being like, how can you create stories and create new audiences on a brand new platform? And so, you know, now there's been so many platforms created since then, but it was a, it was a very cool time. You know, at that point, there was very, very few uh, social media platforms out there to get to be part of that conversation, be part of that kind of thinking. And just frankly, I got to meet a lot of really cool people. Anyway, during that time, I just was like, oh yeah. You know, I was, I was like pitching ideas to networks and, and really cool people who had awesome stories and getting to be on sets and uh, working with crews. And I was like, oh yeah, I really wanted to do this back in the day. And, and I just was getting so excited by it. And I decided at some point, like, I don't want to be like the geek squad that's helping all these cool storytellers tell their story. I actually just want to be them. And so, yeah, so I mean, my time at Google and my time in the tech industry boomeranged me back to, to what I always loved to do. After five years there and having a little bit of freedom, having worked somewhere for so long, and I decided, let me take a chance on what I really want to do and kind of live my 20s twice and applied for grad school. That's so interesting that I would never have expected that you would have been like working on sets and doing production while you were working at Google. I, in my head, I was like, oh, you're probably doing like, you know, some software engineering on the campus all the time. But yeah, that is so interesting yeah. that you sort of were brought back to the filmmaking. There. Yeah, it's a, it's a running theme in my life that you put me somewhere, I will try to do something that's very odd for what I'm supposed to do. So economics, decided to study crime and witches, not financial markets. Google, less interested in tech and software and more interested in trying to tell make stories content, while there yeah. and content and stuff. So and I always found found a way to make a place work for myself and let my interests and my passion guide me. And 
been fortunate thus far. When you got to Google, were they aware that that was a background that you had? Or did you just kind of like keep asking to be put on projects that would get you closer to being on set and doing content creation? Yes, I I don't think I knew I would have an opportunity to work on sets. I just knew like after my first year there, I was like, Google owns YouTube. Like I love media. I love content. I want to go there. A mentor had advised me to check out Google Plus because it was a new platform and opportunity to like try to do a lot of different things and I just had the fortunes of of really great bosses and really amazing people to work with that were running like you know the creation of content and the strategy of the team I ended up working on so it kind of just all fell into place some my own doing some just like you know frankly lucky opportunity so yeah I'm just like very very grateful um for that for that period of time did you quit Google and then move to New York and start applying to grad school or did you get into grad school and then you know decide to quit and move to New York yeah so I got into grad school first and then I decided to quit it's always hard to quit something without your next uh, lily pad to jump to so I had spoken with my my bosses at Google who were very supportive and told them you know this is what I'm feeling is right for me and and applied while I was still there I didn't think I would get into film school so I did like the good thing that many children of immigrants and, and Indian children do is have your backup plan, which is an mm-hmm. MBA. And so I applied to a lot of business schools as well. <laughs> okay. Not sure if I'd ever go to just a business school, but yeah, I just was like, you know, maybe I need to go to grad school. Maybe I need to shake it up. Like I was in my mid twenties and kind of ready to deconstruct my life uh, in some ways. So I kind of kept, tried to keep more doors open than not. But NYU was the only program that was like this interesting opportunity to give myself a chance in filmmaking, but also uh, I did a dual degree program there. So I also actually did get my MBA because I sometimes am a good Indian girl. You were doing and, the backup plan. Uh, I'm also very risk averse sometimes. So it was my fallback in some wow. ways. I was like, well, if I'm a really bad filmmaker, well, at least I would have gone to grad school and got my MBA. So leaving a company like Google would have been semi worth it. So a lot of opportunity costs, things I learned in my time in economics was rolling in my head as I was kind of thinking through taking a risk. Oh my gosh, I had no idea you did them at the same time. Did you complete it in three years or did you take longer? I lingered. I finished my coursework in three, which is kind of the timeline. And then I spent, I started working, but I spent an extra two years working on my thesis, which was, which is user zero, which is, you know, the short you referenced earlier. Do you feel like you would have ever tried to enter entertainment or filmmaking without grad school? Or did you feel like that was a very important piece of the puzzle that you were like, I'm only going to do it if I can go to grad school. I thought about it. And one of my, one of my bosses at Google had given me a piece of advice and said, check and see if you can do whatever you want to do without having to go to grad school. So he was very kind and like set me up with a couple calls with friends of his in the entertainment industry. And I tried to see if I could get a job like, you know, in content um, at streaming services or you know, different kinds of production companies. And more or less, everyone just said, you know, you've done five years more or less in marketing. And I, we get you've been doing some content development, but it's for like, it's for this thing called Google Plus. It's not really real content. Uh, you know, they're like, they wanted me to have some experience in like the feature world or an actual like filmmaking, you mm-hmm. know, not my, not my, my kind of new media version. And so, yeah. so ultimately they're like, yeah, you know, we, we'd be happy to put your, your resume in for a marketing job at our companies. And so I was like, no, no. And so there, you know, then my options were either move out to LA and do what I probably should have done 
well, I shouldn't say probably, but what I could have done at 22 and just like go apprentice for a bunch of people and PA on sets and just try to go up the ladder that way, or I could go to grad school. I'm not the type to go around and I just don't have the personality or the pizzazz to go around and, and try to find work for myself. And so grad school felt like a more comfortable option for me. That being said, a lot of successful people do the PA slash go to LA, give it a shot route and you know are more self-learners than I think I am. But for me, grad school was the right fit. I really like that you mentioned that it's very much based on personality and what you feel like is right for you because that's one of those things is like there really is no right answer or right path to do it but much more individualized yes yeah. absolutely what do you feel like was your biggest takeaway from doing an MFA I guess the, the biggest thing I took away from my MFA other than you know fantastic set of peers and 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 professors is I basically paid for time I paid for time to figure out my voice and figure out what I'm trying to say as a, you know, as a filmmaker. And for that, I will always be so grateful. And I think that's one of the best parts if you have the privilege and the time to do it. I was a very expensive, a lot of opportunity costs as well for taking three years to just figure out, you know, what you want to say as a filmmaker and then go out and try to do it, which can also be very difficult. So, yeah, I think that was my biggest takeaway from my MFA. That was actually one of my questions is, how did you go about finding your voice and style as a director? Do you feel like that was very much informed by your classes or working on other people's sets? Or, yeah, I'm just curious, like, were there moments that help you find and figure out what your voice was as a creator? So I would say I'm, it's still a work in progress. I think my voice... Like you're kind of excavating it a little bit. You know, you have all your life experiences and where you were born and when you were born and all that kind of stuff that, you know, subconsciously probably dictates your, your voice. And so I think a lot of, you know, my experience, in, you know, growing up in Hyde Park in one of the rare multicultural neighborhoods in Chicago, I think a lot of that is shaped the types of characters I gravitate towards telling, the ones that are in my brain. But I also think, you know, I mentioned to you I was really interested in economics, but public policy of economics. So this kind of social message or desire to understand the justice or lack of justice in the world also really drives my voice. Kind of in terms of what I'm trying to say, that's where it is. And I think in terms of how I try to say it kind of as a director and, and as a writer, I think that I'm still learning. The MFA was like an appetizer. You know, now it's up to me to like build my little, build the entree and, and, and start feeding myself a bit more. Um, in terms of learning and understanding and trying things out. And so I've, I still feel like I have a ways to go in terms of that part of, you know, having a voice in terms of the way in which I apply the stories and people that I want to write about. And I feel like finding your voice is not something that you ever like arrive at a destination. It's a continuous thing. So with each project, like you find out a little bit more, like you said, the excavating. So speaking of your finding your voice and like, you know, taking those first steps while you were in grad school. Your first short film in grad school was Life After. Yes, yes. That was my, it was part of the curriculum. We had to like in our second year of film school, everyone, the entire class, there's like 30, 35 of us. And we each have to make a 10 to 12 minute short. And all of, all of your coursework in that year is basically engineered to help you create that, that short. Were there any constraints to what, uh, you had to do with the film? You know, there are a bunch of constraints. 
you know, the first constraint is it has to be 12 minutes or less. The second constraint is I think we were only given six days to shoot it. The third constraint is how much money you have to make it. How much money did you have? And they give us $1,500 to, and, and a camera to shoot it. $1,500? And then everyone raises a little bit more money. You know, I think I, I think I did a crowdfunding campaign and I think I like raised like five or $6,000 or something like that. It's expensive, you know, it's like, they say something like a pay, I can't remember if I had learned this in a producing class or somewhere in the interwebs I learned this, but it's roughly like, and I, obviously, you know, it depends on what's on the page, but for like an indie or, you know, short film or something like, it's something like $1,000 per page. So, you know, you have a 10 page short, sometimes it, depending on what you're doing, can cost $10,000. But again, it depends on what you're doing. Like some people made fantastic films and they just made them for $1,500. They wrote to the constraint. So anyway, you had a bunch of these different constraints. Some of them pushed on you from the school. Some of them you have to create for yourself. And then, you know, you write towards it. For me, I knew I was, you know, some people are from different countries or places. And, you know, I was I'm from Chicago and I was like, well, I'm just going to do this in New York. I don't want to pay to extra money to make the pages more expensive and send people somewhere else that I felt like I needed. You know, if I was from a different country and I wanted to tell a story about that country, it makes sense to go somewhere else. But I felt that my my story was about uh, was about people like me who grew up in cities in, in like Chicago, and so New York felt like a proper proper and appropriate spot to shoot. So I shot mine here in, in New York in a very cold December. I just wanted to say that watching Life After, I mean, it demolished me. I was I, I was in tears and the the lead actor that you found, she she's was incredible. She was incredible. Oh I my found gosh. her on Facebook, but she's incredible. You found her on Facebook? Yes. Was she a trained actor or Yes, she's a trained actor. And what I you know, she was in some serials while she lived in India and now lives in the United States and kind of, you know, has her immigrant story of creating opportunity for her, her children and coming to America with her family. But I just felt very strongly that I wanted the lead character to be someone who's had that experience. And it's something that I strive for. And oddly enough, and I think in all three of my shorts, the lead character is, is connected very deeply to that character that they're playing. The actor is, so, you know, like for Life After, the story is about, you know, a mother of an adult immigrant child and has been living in a, you know, a different place for a while. And so Vidula, she is that, right? Like I didn't want to, had, had one, one person suggest, Rhea, why don't you, you know, you an Indian woman, why don't you just get someone from Bollywood? Use your budget, fly like a Bollywood actress in. And I'm like, Look, first of all, fifteen hundred dollars to fly in a Bollywood <laughs> yeah, actor. Like, I don't, I don't know if I want to do that. It's already hard enough on my budget that I'm bringing in someone from Princeton, New Jersey. So I, I can't <laughs> okay. imagine. So anyway, I, but I, I strongly, you know, I strongly felt no. Like as good as or whatever star power someone from Bollywood c could have, they don't, unless they, you know, lived in America and were an immigrant and then went back, they don't get what I'm trying to say intrinsically in their bones because it's not a lived-in experience. And I'm not saying that, there's a lot of talented actors who can act out something that they've never been, right? You know, there's so many story, right. amazing stories where the actor has never been that. But I just felt, for me, and for this short, that there was, there had to be a great actor out there who could, 
we, we didn't, we would have a common language without having to build it ourselves. Like it was just there. Right. And that she could bring in her experience, which makes it so much richer. You know, I, I often, I write, but then I, I care very deeply. Like when I audition people, I spend to the chagrin of sometimes the casting directors I, I work with, I like talking to them. I'm like, fine, we'll do the sides. They'll read it. You know, you can kind of tell, you test and see if, you know, the actor can take direction well. But then what I ultimately care about is I ask them, what do you think of this character? And that's when I make my decision, mm. is if they, in their heart and mind, kind of are on the same page with me, but then when they can say something that is somewhat profound, then I'm like, huh, that's very true of this character, and you all you have is the sides. Then I'm like, slam dunk. You know, I felt that with Vidula when we had our audition slash slight like an interview process. She just got it, and, and you just felt like, you know, she li she's lived this life, even though she doesn't have a daughter, she doesn't have, a, you know, I don't want to spoil the, the short for people who haven't seen it, mm -hmm. but like, that's not her life experience, but she can understand, you know, the ethos of the character based on her own experience. I love hearing that you interview your actors and care about that part of them because then it allows them to bring so much more oh, yeah. to it as well. I mean, you've oh. already, as the writer director, brought so much of yourself to the piece. So, I mean, filmmaking is always going to be a collaboration. So if you can just have people make it better. Absolutely. It's a team sport. And, and I strongly believe, like, at a certain point, I let go and it's the actor's character to, you know, to go with. And as a director, I try to provide some options and, you know, give myself coverage and, 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 and push the ways in which that character might go. But ultimately, I, I am handing, you know, the keys, the keys to the castle, so to speak, to, to the actor. And, and, I, and it's really important to me that we are now, like, brain melded and our collaborators on that person that we're creating together. Oh, I love hearing that because I, as an actor, sometimes when I send in my auditions, I'm like, they don't care who I am. They don't care what I think. But it's so cool to talk to a director and a writer who does really care about that because I'm sure there's other people, you know, out there. But I also just feel like it's such a evolved and mature approach to filmmaking. One of my favorite professors in grad school, she's a fantastic director, Casey Lemons, had you know, she's very much influenced a lot of my directing style, but, you know, she talked a lot about improv. Like, you know, you have a plan, right? As a director, you're going to go into set and have a plan. But make sure you give yourself permission to improvise and, and a permission to play. And so I think, you know, you have to have some sense of security in yourself, but also security in your team and, your, and the actors and that you have built that relationship and so that you guys can play together and improvise on set. And I think that's where the best stuff comes from. There's like Moments in Shadows, for example, which is the second short that I did, where I did not write that. There are moments, I was like, I did that are great in the film, and I did not write that. The, the actors did it. And oh, I like, can I ask no which moments? One that I distinctly remember, but I'm sure there's many, many more. One was at the end of the party when, after Rinaldo's, or, sorry, that's the actor's name, Abdul, you know, embarrasses Naya, who's played by Crystal. She shoves him into the wall. Yeah. And I did not write that. She and did that in the moment? She did in the moment. And fortunately, you know, everything was safe and everyone was okay. But it was just so, it was such a pleasure working with that set of actors because they, they really embraced and stepped up to the, to the idea that, like, they're my collaborative partner. And it just felt right. Like we'd spent so much time on set talking about intention and motivation and what your what what your character is feeling in this 
in this moment in time, and it just felt like the appropriate release. And yeah, it worked. It worked really well. I mean, it was a really powerful moment because as soon as you said it, I, I can visualize it immediately, and his yeah. reaction was so genuine too. Yeah. That's yeah. really cool. Actually, a big question I had about Shadows, which is your second film, was that you chose to write about a Latinx family. Yes. I So why did you decide to write about a Latinx family? I haven't seen a lot of filmmakers write for a demographic that's different than their own. I find myself, despite being of a particular culture, I find myself to be kind of a part of this like melting pot of whatever is American culture, which is a lot of different things and a lot of different people. Like for example, I speak more Spanish than I speak Hindi, which is technically my mother tongue. I can, I know very little, but you know, I used to be much more uh, comfortable with Spanish. I lived in Argentina for a summer and at one point in time I could dream in Spanish. That's all gone. I don't practice enough, but you know, I've always been like really into that into Latin culture and you know, I also grew up in a predominantly African-American neighborhood and things like that. So I just find that different parts of different cultures have impacted me and, and are a part of my worldview. And for why I decided a Latinx family, I think it just felt, for me, I was trying to tell an interfaith story. And I had yeah. read a, a piece about the growth of Muslim Muslim kind of converts in the Latin community. And I thought it was fascinating. My family's interfaith, Hindu and Muslim. And so I guess the part of me that's, you know, in there is the faith part, I guess, in terms of my actual, you know, quote unquote identity, but it's always hard to to put a pin on. And so, you know, that's why I was interested in that community from the start. And then I felt somewhat comfortable, you know, because I was like, well, I speak Spanish and I feel comfortable I could write, write. And obviously, the, the actors who are all fluent and this is their this is their mother tongue they were able to improve on the Spanish and add a lot more to it and and add the authenticity to it but ultimately at the end of the day it's also an immigrant story and I understand that and so that for me is where my authenticity came to a culture that is not my own that I and that I want to learn more about I think the reason I you know at first I was like do I have the permission to do this uh, and should I just stay in my lane, you know, should I, should I stick, you know, my first movie was about Indian immigrant community. I was like, maybe I should just stick in my lane and not do this. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, there's a heck of a lot of white people who write about people of color. True. And I was like, you know, not that I think that just because that happens, that should give me permission to do whatever I want, because I think it needs to be authentic. It needs to come from a place of honesty but honesty can be gained through research and providing yourself the right collaborator. So, for mm-hmm. example, my our cinematographer, she's she's you know grew up in the Dominican Republic, and so I felt comfortable on set that I that I had a partner with me who who could catch things that maybe I couldn't catch and could bring her sense and and her experience to it. And then everyone in the cast are either have background in the Dominican Republic or Puerto Rico or Cuba and so you know it's funny like on set the cast would say you you feel like my sister you feel like my cousin you feel like my daughter you feel like my grandma and so the kinship between them felt very authentic because they were bringing their authentic experience to it and they could relate to it and you know when it came to like the the Muslim culture and and praying like I went to a uh, at NYU, there is a, an Islamic center, and we met with 
the, or I met with, with the amazing staff there and they helped, helped me and Reynaldo who played Abdul, helped us make sure that he did the prayer correctly. And so that also came from a sense of, of research and, and making sure we had the right partners helping us along, along the way. So I think it's, it's a double-edged sword because people need to be, as a creator, you need to be careful that you're not trying to take other people's stories and, and use them for the wrong reasons. And there's a lot of different ways. But you also need to give yourself the permission to learn. And like, I think it's so powerful to empathize and put your feet into someone else's shoes, right? To let yourself get out of your skin. Like I can for a second not be an Indian American and I can you know, think about what happens in, in a family that's of a different race. Or you know, with Uzero, I, I, am, I am not a neuroscientist, yet I can step into the shoes and think of what happens for someone who's a, in neuroscience, but also someone who's battling mental health illnesses and stuff like that. So you, know, you have to give your permission to yourself to say, be responsible. And if you're going to talk about a community or, or a to topic that is an intrinsic to your upbringing or, or your life, that you, you research it and you make sure you have the right people with you to, to tell that story and to, yeah. to be a gut check. And it's cool that you found other ways into that story as well, because, you know, of course, race and ethnicity is a huge part of someone's lived experience, but there were other elements of your own life that you were bringing to it. Yeah. And that was the part of the story that you let the actors bring more of themselves to. I feel like just hearing you talk about the way you interviewed Vadula for yeah. Life After, it totally makes sense that with your style and your approach, that that is something that felt like a natural progression to, you know, allow the actors and your cinematographer to bring their experience into play. And also, I think it's really interesting that the cinematographer was the person who was also from the Latinx community, just like when you're thinking about what the camera is picking up and like the direct lens that you're seeing the story through it's very I really I think that's so cool that the cinematographer was the person who yeah had that connection yeah it was kind of kismet that this was the right story because I actually had when I'd approached Lorena who's just an I mean she's a star and she's someone everyone should just continue watching what she does and so she's just amazing I had actually originally reached out to her because I just wanted to do something with her mm -hmm. like I said I was like she's just so cool and um, I had a different idea that I was running with was was also based on actually uh, Islam, but it was about a a girl who came back from the military and she's she was Muslim because I'm also kind of interested in I'm just very interested in being an American, but also have, being part of things that America sometimes doesn't want to associate itself with. And so that was my original story. But then kind of through the studying of that, I, I stumbled upon the, the the Latinx community connecting to the, to the Muslim community. And that just kind of took my imagination. Then, you know, I actually showed her both projects and I was like, what do you think? And she's like, I think, I feel like this one, there's something to it. And so that's kind of how we, we went on the ride for this one together. The magic in the universe kind of sometimes works, works well. So Life After did really well on the festival circuit. I was looking on your website, you had like eight different finalists or winner spots, and then it went to over 30 festivals. What was it like to go into making Shadows knowing that you had sort of like set this high bar for yourself did you feel an added pressure to make sure that the next film did just as well absolutely and I feel like it it showed in terms of how scared I, I think sometimes I felt like I was on set or how kind of like amped up I was at all times during the production of the of, of shadows because I was really nervous and I think it's this it's frankly an insecurity that I need to find a way to get over but I was really nervous that it was just beginner's luck 
that like, okay, I made life after, during grad school, it was a project for school, every, you know, professor from, from writing to cinematography to directing to editing were like teaching me at the same time and kind of, you know, in many ways helping, helping guide my process. And, and it was very much kind of the training wheels were on. And so Shadows, it was just a project I did on my own. Like my crew was almost all, all friends from, from NYU, which was very valuable because it's, you know, they saved me so much effort and, and had people I trusted. And, and, and you have like a shared that, language. Yeah, shared language. And it's, you know, it's, it's hard to make films if you're not a part of a community like that. And so I was very worried. I was kind of doing this on my own. And, you know, I, I had like shown to a couple professors who, who I really trust and, but otherwise, I was kind of just doing it on my own, like, you know, and I wasn't really sure what I was doing. And I was like, well, if this goes badly, then maybe the first one was just a fluke. And I went into it with this strong feeling that it was a fluke, that I was a fluke. And, you know, I think having, again, great partners around me that help support the vision and said, no, this is a great story and brought their amazing talents to it, I think made it into what it is. And I think ultimately, like when I got to be on set and I just felt so in the zone and I felt so at ease and I just saw the performances afterwards, I just felt like, no, there's something here. I don't know what it is yet because we have to edit it, but something about the quality of it, I said, there's something here and there's something more that there's something more to it than I didn't have it in life after. And I'm still trying to figure out what it was, but like just the quality of just the quality across the board and the ease in which I felt like I had communicating what I wanted in that film made me feel like, okay, maybe this isn't a fluke. Maybe this wasn't beginner's luck. Maybe actually I did learn enough to do this on my own. So, and yeah, you know, Shadows has done well for itself. So, you know, we actually have a, we're, we have our HBO premiere on Monday. Oh! Yes, the short is, yeah, it got licensed by HBO. And so it'll be on HBO Latino and HBO Max. Oh my gosh, how timely. Yes, yes, so timely. Yeah. Um, is it yeah, part so of I mean, the um, the vision the visionaries competition no, or separate? No, it was just yeah. They they found the short also got into Tribeca last year, and so they found us through Tribeca. That's amazing. So it wasn't beginner's luck. You were able to build on yeah, it. Yeah, I mean maybe I, maybe all of this is beginner's luck, and you talk to me in five years, and I'm <laughs> like, yeah, that was all beginner's luck. In the last interview that I did with a woman named Priya Mohanty, who's an actor writer. She was saying, like, sometimes, especially when you're starting out, that ignorance is just so helpful because you just, like, are able to take on so much and just go with the flow more than when later on, you know, you have the added pressures of having to make sure that something does well rather than just, like, making it for the love of making it. Yeah. And so so Shadows was done after User Zero? No, so Shadows was done in between. So oh, okay. Life After was a you know, was my course requirement. And then user zero was also a course requirement, but that was like, you know, very, very much other than my thesis advisor. And I think I had one or two other professors look at my, look at it. It was very much like a, Hey, you've gone through the curriculum here at NYU. Now just like get your thesis done. Mm -hmm. And it's a culmination of, of whatever you've learned and where you've taken out of your experience. And so that one was also kind of more training wheels off, but I did shadows in between because I knew I needed some time to work on user zero and I wanted to just keep practicing my directing and writing skills. So I wanted to do something in between. Where did the inspiration for user zero come from? I feel like I definitely, when I saw that you worked at Google, I was like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. But I didn't want to assume. Yeah, no, you assume correctly. I just, I've, you know, I, I've wanted to do something about the tech industry 
and I want to do something about women in the tech industry. And so that was kind of the initial germ of the idea, but it became something very different and I think more interesting than I think what I had initially conceived. And yes, yeah, so that's where it came from. I really loved the moral dilemma that came up. I'm not going to spoil it for anyone, but just like how you brought in this moral dilemma that I feel like it would be very difficult for an outsider, like someone like myself, to write something about the tech industry and introduce a moral dilemma in a very well-rounded way. Because I found myself both rooting for her as someone who feels like there have been a lot of ways in which the tech industry has ruined our lives. But at the same time, I wanted her to succeed because I wanted her to be like this big CEO in the tech industry. So it was it was really conflicting as a viewer because I assumed, you know, I definitely would want her to do like quote unquote right thing. But you made the you made the audience's job actually not very easy to pick a side. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I think that's kind of where my opinion is on a lot of the the, the ethical grayness in the tech industry. So I think that's that's definitely where a lot of that came from. And it definitely ends on a cliffhanger. So do you yes. see it going into, I think I saw that it might be a pilot, but do you see it being like a pilot or a feature? Yeah, so I'm, I've been writing for a very long time. Yeah. But I just, I, I, there's just something I need that is not 100% there yet, but it's coming. You know, these projects all take time. But I always conceived it as a television show. Do you see it being like a half hour or an hour? An hour long. Okay. So user zero the short is in many ways like a proof of concept like a pilot presentation type so it definitely meant to leave it on a cliffhanger because i want people to be like wait a minute hold on i want to know more oh i want to know more we want to buy this show and you know i think you know as i've got over the last few years and as i've gotten kind of into a more kind of found my voice more but also become into a hopefully a, a better writer i'm i'm finding that oh there's more things i can do and say with this with this show, much of it very relevant with what's going on with the world today, that I, I feel like I find myself continually tinkering with it to kind of find that sweet spot where I feel like it's everything's in line the way I want it to be. Have you, I mean, I totally understand if this is not something you can talk about, but have you been able to pitch it to networks yet or get some insight on that end? No, I, I have not pitched to networks yet. I'm still, it's still in the garage in, to use Silicon Valley speak. It's still in the garage. And so, so I haven't, I haven't taken it out yet. You know, we should really use that for entertainment. It's still in the garage. I like that. Yeah, yeah. I have things in the garage. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they'll stay there. I don't know. So after NYU, you said you were working for a bit, and now you're working as a showrunner's assistant. Yes. So how did you go from grad school to showrunner's assistant? Because that is an awesome job and very hard to come by. Yes, I feel very lucky to have, to have this job. The way I got to this job was through through kind of, I mentioned with the Google thing, like, you know, family friend referral. A friend of mine who I co-produced a short with at NYU, he works for the production company that is producing the show I'm on. And so I think it's very important, and maybe I put too much faith in the universe, but I find that it's my way to kind of survive the world, is I just sometimes feel like you put things onto the universe, and when they come back to you, they'll come back to you. So I mentioned to a bunch of friends you know, oh, like, I, I really am interested in television and would love to, you know, ideally one day become a showrunner myself. And, like, I'm now down to think about assistant jobs. I'll bite the bullet, but I know this is a way to learn and this mm-hmm. is a way to become a writer. And so 
um, I mentioned to a bunch of friends, and, and so my friend who was, who, was, who was an assistant at the production company shot me a note and said, oh, by the way, a show is coming out that you know my production company is working on, and they're looking for a showrunner's assistant in New York. Like, are you doing anything? I'm like, no, not really. And uh, uh, he put my he put my resume in the pile, and you know, is a wonderful human being, and also kind of like gave a bit of a stamp of approval for me. Um, and then I in read with my boss, and you know, the rest is history. Did they also read any of your scripts or watch any of your short films? They they did not. I'm an assistant, so my job is much more based on being someone who's reliable and can follow through. So it, it required less of me to have very good writing or directing skills. But I get to share stuff with my team and uh, everyone's very supportive because you know, my, my boss knows that I'm also a working artist and mm -hmm. um, she appreciates that. And, I, and you know, her knowing that I want to be here one day is uh, I think makes it worth having an assistant you know, who you know is, is really here to learn and wants to do something beyond beyond being an assistant you know right I feel like that experience too of finding your voice and like knowing or in the process of finding your voice and like having experience making your own stuff before getting to the assistant position just sets you up so well for the future for like when that opportunity does come versus you know I like I had the opportunity to go work as an assistant right out of school but I just felt like I would get caught in there forever because I didn't know how to do anything else. So I yeah, feel like I, you get the connections when you're supposed to get them. Yeah, yeah, th yeah. And I, I think like, you know, being an assistant is not for everyone and not every assistant job is, is worth it. Mm -hmm. So I think being very kind of clear with your intention and who you want to work for and why matters. That being said, everyone needs to eat. So like yeah. oftentimes like, Frankly, assistant jobs are just, they're somewhat, you know, they're just somewhat there. But it's also to be careful because you can get stuck in the assistant trap and, and, and not be able to actually do what you want to do, which is right, because these jobs can be very, very time consuming. So kind of figuring out what's right for you and, you know, this just so happened to feel right and the right learning experience for me. But yes, I, it's making sure that you have genuine relationships and friendships with people and you're sharing what you, what you hope to do in your life, and then sometimes, sometimes it comes back around. So. From your experience, all of your experience, what advice do you have for writers or filmmakers who are trying to break into the industry? And um, what advice do you have for people who are considering grad school versus not going to grad school? First, in terms of advice for anyone trying to break in, say three things. First is create. Always be making stuff. I made shadows because I just wanted to make stuff. And if I hadn't made it, I would not have a short that got into Tribeca. I would not have a short that's been licensed to HBO. And, you know, it is it has opened many other doors for me in terms of my career. And if I had not made that, I wouldn't have gotten those opportunities. And so, you know, it's like, was it Wayne Gretzky or, or Michael Jordan, one of the two said something like, you miss every shot you don't make. You it's miss 100% of the creating. shots you don't make. Yeah, same with creating. You got to keep making. You know, I think that's my first piece of advice. And a corollary of that is, you know, they, what's that quote, another one? They say, dance like, dance like nobody's watching. I would say as a, as a writer, write or make like no one's watching at first. Because I think oftentimes, you know, when you're starting out and uh, I find myself falling in this trap, like you just want to kind of please people and you want people to like your work. 
that you start writing things that you think people will like, but ultimately what people will gravitate towards is whatever is coming from your heart and whatever is coming from you. So just like shut out the world for a little bit, write or direct or whatever you do, and then just write like no one's watching and just let it flow and see what comes out of it. And then you know, then you can worry about making it digestible for other people. But that would be my first piece of advice. And then the second would be to kind of what has been like a theme that we've talked about today is build your tribe. Yeah. You know, all the major opportunities I've had in my life have have in many ways come through through the help of my tribe. And like the reason I don't say like build, you know, create a network or go networking, it's because I, that's different. Right? Building a tribe mean is like people who you're you're connected with. Like, you know, when someone's your tribe, these are people who are like your kin. Mm-hmm. And people who you would go to bat for and who would go f- to bat for you. And there's a connection there that is beyond the superficial. And often you can build your cri- tribe by making stuff. So, so those two can happen at the same time. For me, I, I'm, I'm a terrible networker and I, uh, and, and I don't like doing it. So for me, like just making things and connecting with people around shared interests is, is the easiest way for me to make my tribe and, and build, you know, quote unquote network. Mm-hmm. And the third thing is just to be kind to yourself because this is a long road. Filmmaking, if you're a writer, director, or an actor like yourself, or you're a cinematographer or a editor or you know, music composer, these are crafts. These are not jobs. And crafts, you know, can be lifelong. They should be lifelong. And in order for you to be able to do this for the rest of your life, hopefully, and be able to speak your mind and your heart through art, you have to be kind with yourself and not be, you know, I'm often too impatient and I'm like, this has to happen now. Like, why can't I get this done? Why am I having writer's block? Like, what's wrong with me? I'm a failure. Why am I saying these things to myself? I I am the first stop in criticism. And this is a, this is a long road also of rejections. Like, just be kind to yourself. So, you know, I'm doing the best I can and I love myself. Therefore, hopefully the world will love me one day. And so, just having that kindness towards yourself so you don't burn out, I think, is really important. Are there any things that you do to be kind to yourself? That's something I'm definitely trying to work on a lot. Yeah, I, I'm trying a lot of things out. I recently, so working out is something that I'm trying to, I try to do every day. And now that the weather has been so nice, like, I go on walks. Just getting that, you know, that time. And, and baking, you know, you and I talked, bringing it back to baking. Girl, I love to bake. Oh, baking is um, and the I love best goods. self-help. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's between baking and I'm working out so I don't feel bad about my baking. And, and, you know. <laughs> I'm in the so, same cycle. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so, so, you know, having things like that. And then to answer your question about grad school or not grad school, I think, I think explore the options and, and listen to yourself and see if it's what you want to do. And like the applications are made to be difficult because they weed people out. MFA application was difficult and if you don't like doing it like I I applied I applied to the business school of my alma mater aka HBS and to be quite frank I I really disliked answering their questions I couldn't stand them and I didn't get in because I wasn't being authentic and I think they could probably tell I wasn't a good fit because I didn't really I was struggling to even say anything in there, those answers because mm-hmm. it just didn't feel like me. And so I think, you know, if you're considering it, talk to people, 
Think about what you might get out of it. Think about financially if it makes sense for you. And, you know, go through the application. If you're like, oh, I really don't want to do this, then maybe, maybe it's telling you something. So that's kind of my, my thoughts on grad school. Because it's definitely not for everyone, and it's not the only path forward. Well, this is all so helpful. And I've, I've learned so much just from talking to you. And I have a lot to think about, too, from, from speaking to you today. So thank you so much for all of, of your course. advice. Thank you. And yeah, thank you for having me on. This is awesome. I'm so glad that you're doing this and, you know, you're taking the time to – to create. You're literally creating right now. Yes. Um, so. Check that off. Check it off. You did it for the day. Yeah. I'm actually just building, um, I'm just trying to build a place where whenever I need like a director or a cinematographer, I'm just like, okay, who did I interview on the podcast? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're building your tribe at the same time. Exactly. And you're making everyone, you know, feel good about themselves because <laughs> you're letting them talk for like an hour about themselves. What's not to love? It's a good strategy. <laughs> Thanks so much, Ria. Thank you. And that was the Brown Breakdown. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I had so much fun talking to Ria and learned a lot from her just about how to approach filmmaking for the first time and how to make sure that you can continue your career so that it is lifelong. As always, if you have questions or want to reach out to us, you can reach us on Instagram at Brown Breakdown. See you next time.